In Ephesians 5.22, we read, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Going on in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And continuing in verse 31, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Over the last year, I have officiated to this point seven weddings, and it looks like there's going to be two more before 2024 arrives. And the interesting thing is, as I read these verses, and that as I talk to people after the weddings or just throughout the year, one of the most difficult things, often people that are either going to get married or married couples, even ones that have been married for 10, 15, even 20 plus years, still wrestle with respect and love. Well, I'm supposed to love her, but she doesn't respect me. Well, I'm supposed to respect him, but he doesn't love me. And there goes the cycle. Well, today in the Watching World podcast, we have a very special guest. Dr. Emerson Egrich is the author of the book, Love and Respect, The Love She Most Desires, The Respect He Desperately Needs. We're going to talk about that crazy cycle. We're going to talk about what that really looks like and means. And, and maybe finally, once and for all, we're going to get an idea. And this is for you married couples or those that are getting married or maybe one day plan on being married. Just get an idea of what God means when, it, when he talks about submitting to one another to love your wife, and to respect your husband. Welcome to the Watching World Podcast, a podcast of abundant life. It is an honor to have, as I said before, Dr. Emerson Egrich. He is uh, an author, teacher, pastor, speaker, founder and president of Love and Respect Ministries. Um, he host a podcast. He's been on numerous radio shows and podcasts, and one of our favorites, uh, Focus on the Family, another one, Family Life Today. Uh, he's been on those many times, and, and there you can go to YouTube, you can go to his website, loveandrespect.com. There's so many great resources out there that you can find, um, Dr. Egrich. And he's written other books as well, but we're going to talk about one of them today. Um, one of them, I, I, I got to talk a little bit here before we came on the air um, with Dr. Egrich. And the one I'm going to read now, he's got me all excited. I want to like hurry up and get this today. The Four Wills of God. He's also uh, written, Before You Hit Send, Preventing Headache and Heartache. I, I wish I would have read that about 30 years ago. Uh, Mother and Son, The Respect Effect, Motivating Your Man God's Way, Cracking the Communication Code. But what we're going to talk about today is a Platinum and Book of the Year Award winner. It's called Love and Respect, The Love She Most Desires, and the respect he desperately needs. Now, in the intro, which you haven't heard, Dr. Egrich, um, I've, I've done seven weddings. I've officiated seven weddings this year alone. I've got two more to go before the end of the year. It's definitely my busiest in front of the altar. An honor to share 
that uh, part of, of the beginning of these couples' lives. But oftentimes, my bride and I will also do the premarital stuff. And we've used Love and Respect as a great resource. Thank you for writing it. Love it. Uh, came, you came, it came out in 2004. So if anybody wants to find that, it's been around a while. It's Love and Respect, the love she most desires, the respect he desperately needs. But it's interesting in talking with married couples now, it seems like the one of the biggest, and you can share because you you wrote this and you've worked with so many and you have the, the ministry and the conferences and the speaking engagements you do, it seems in just my small window of time that so many couples, whether they've been married five minutes, five years, or like you and your bride, Sarah, 50 years, congratulations, by the way, 50 years of marriage, but it seems like this idea of loving your wife, respecting your husband, it seems like there's a big hang-up in there, and and it's, it seems like it's 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 a pretty big battle in marriages nowadays. Well, no, thank you for that introduction. But yes, that is, and I think it's not so much that people debate the idea of loving a wife. I think sure. there is a, 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 an endorsement of that, and I think an applauding of that, and then also that women need R E S P E C T as well. And so I think the idea is women need love and respect because they are so loving that the man should appreciate that and be more loving in response to that. And all of that's true. And I validate that and affirm that. But what I saw, I had my PhD in family studies and, and uh, the research plus what I saw as a pastor who studied the Bible 30 hours a week for nearly 20 years, that was the philosophy of ministry. I discovered something in Ephesians that kind of blew me away. Um, the text is Ephesians 5, which most consider the greatest treatise in the New Testament right. on marriage. And the summary of that, Paul summarizes by saying a husband must love his wife and a wife must respect her husband. It's very gender specific. And of course, as I said, there's no debate about that first part, but it was that second part that as I got into this, I realized, wait a minute, I went to military school for five years. Issues of honor are huge to me. They are with you and other men. We, we serve and die for honor. And uh, the gladiators, you know, all the movies that are up, men are highly motivated by issues of respect and honor. And we actually give our very lives for that. But when you put that in a marriage relationship, sometimes it feels to a woman like he's being narcissistic. Sure. It's all about him. Um, She's going to be treated like a doormat. Um, She is going to set the feminist movement back 50 years. Um, You know, he hasn't earned the respect. He doesn't deserve the respect. She doesn't feel the respect. She's not going to be a hypocrite in in doing that. And so there is this mantra of responses, none of which are mean-spirited. It's more rooted in, you know, a fear that somehow this is going to result in her being mistreated. And so I get that. So as I got into this, I had to kind of unpack, well, why would the Apostle Paul, you know, say what he said? And that uh, gave birth to this book, Love and Respect, which has, uh, I think, served people quite well over the last two decades Absolutely. and continues to be encouraging as you referenced. Absolutely. So so was it through your studies or was it in reading through Ephesians 5 in, in the in-depth study of that? Was it a childhood thing? Was it a marriage experience thing? What was the, the kind of the, the linchpin in all this that says, okay, I need to write this book? Well, that's a good question. I think there were a lot of things that contributed to that. In my own woundedness, I spoke at Liberty University to 12 to 15,000 students about being the wounded healer. And you gave reference to your own wounds growing mm-hmm. up as well. So we have similar you know, experiences there, Les. But I, I think uh, my 
interest in the topic would have been rooted in my own upbringing. There's no question my family of origin put this interpersonal dynamic in marriage because my mom and dad were not Christians. And uh, my dad attempted to strangle my mother mm. when I was two and a half. I witnessed that. Um, um, he uh, committed adultery later on. I uh, was sent to military school by my mom, who had a couple businesses. She was very successful. So I went off to military school. We were not Christians. And I found Christ in my sophomore year at the military school because an elder at a Presbyterian church gave the cadets free tickets to go see a Billy Graham film called For Pete's Sake. And there's where I heard the message that God loved me that Christ died for me, that I could be forgiven, that I had a heavenly father who loved me. And I went forward and received Christ. All of this was new. I didn't know too much about anything. I did discover that Billy Graham had gone to Wheaton. So I later applied to Wheaton, was accepted. And of course, that set in motion a whole wonderful uh, pastoral pursuit and so on and so forth. But it was actually the text, back to your question, in Ephesians 5.33 that I began to meditate on as a uh, Bible expositor. Um, well, wait a minute. Uh, I'm commanded to love and Sarah's commanded to respect. And of course, we all need love and, and, and respect equally. In fact, we've asked 7,000 people this question. Though. Uh, when you're in a conflict with your spouse, do you feel unloved at that moment or disrespected? And 83% uh, of the men last say they feel disrespected. Hmm. And 72% of the women say they feel unloved. And of course, we can see there's exceptions. You can see the percentages there. But this is statistically significant when it comes to the felt need. So the true need, we all need love and respect equally, but the felt need during conflict tends to play out that way. And I think the Apostle Paul, through revelation, illumination, understood that. But then as I meditated on it, I began to ask, well, why, why, why? And then I thought one day, well, if I fail to love Sarah in the way that's meaningful to her, you know, she negatively reacts to me. Mm -hmm. And when she negatively reacts to me, I'm not feeling she's being unloving. I always feel she's being disrespectful. That's right. how I filter it, you know, because yes. I know she's loving. And that's one reason why God does not command a wife to agape love her husband. No, agape love is not there. She is not commanded. Only we are commanded because God put within her nature a desire to nurture. She loves to love at the level of intimacy. And like my mother, you'd have to wound her to close her off and shut her down. It's within her nature to love intimately. So God's not going to command her to do what he created her to do because he's not into redundancy. Mm. And that was one thing I discovered. But I also realized then when Sarah feels unloved, she tends to react in ways that appear disrespectful to me. And you can start on either side of this equation, but sequentially going through this, when I then feel disrespected, I end up reacting in ways that feel unloving to her, mm -hmm. which uh, the University of Washington said, when there's a conflict, 85% of those who withdraw and stonewall is the male, and partly because our heartbeats get to 99 beats per minute, and we may look stoic, but we're in warrior mode. Yes. Whereas she can look like she's out of control, and she's not out of control at all. She knows her aim, and if we just said, I'm sorry, I was wrong, she'll immediately soften Yeah. because that's her goal. And so... You ended up what I I ended up on what I call the crazy cycle. And here yes, it is. I'm looking without at it right love, now. <laughs> without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love. Without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts. And this baby starts to spin. It's a hurricane. And I off I yeah, and I asked the question, have you ever had a conflict with your spouse over some issue? But as you suddenly the issue doesn't seem to be the issue. 
and you see her deflate or you see him deflate, well, you're probably now on the crazy cycle because the issue is real, but it's no longer the root. And now what's beginning to happen, and this is why you have two conversations with your wife, not only does she need to resolve the issue in the first place, now she's going to address why you came across so unloving and you were so harsh and angry. And so now we are having to somehow decode that crazy cycle. But if we don't have a vocabulary for that, we end up dismissing the other person's vulnerability. Sarah has a vulnerability when I appear unloving to her. And I have a vulnerability when she's disrespectful toward me. But what we have a tendency to do is dismiss that because we don't feel the way they feel. Mm -hmm. We don't have that same vulnerability. And so this keeps feeding the crazy cycle. Right. Makes sense? Yeah, oh, oh, gosh, it makes sense. And you're seven. Like, I think I'd mentioned we're pressing into 27 years. And so, uh, and it, it's amazing. And she's my best friend. And I'm more in love now than I was on day one. And you might think, well, wait a minute. That's your wedding day. My wife will tell you the same thing. I, it, it keeps getting better. But it hasn't been without its difficulties. I know when you're seven, there was a time where I I calmly said to my wife, you know, I'm really getting tired of your disrespect. And she looked up and said, well, then maybe you need to earn it. And now, of course, in God's kingdom, we can't earn anything. And we can't earn God's love. We, we He died for us. He first chose to do that and so to, to send his son to die for us. And so that's not more what I'm talking about. But I just remember being in that cycle and literally saying, well, you need to respect me. And then her saying, well, you need to love me. And if you're not going to love me in the way that you should love me in the biblical way, then I'm not going to respect you. I'm like, well, and if you're not going to respect me, then I mean, we literally spoke out (laughs) the crazy cycle. And as I think back about it, I'm just thinking, man, submission to the Lord um, getting into God's word, obeying his commands, I could have been a much better husband in year seven. So I'm looking at one of the, the quotes in your book. This was in the intro. It says, five out of 10 marriages today are ending in divorce. And here's the kicker, because love alone isn't enough. Can you expound on that a little bit? Well, first of all, that statistic is is better now than it had been. It's it's less than that at that time. And that's one of the corrections I want to make the book. Sure. It's not that high. And I don't want to mislead people and thinking, oh, yeah. Well, 50% of everybody's divorced, and so we'll divorce. It's really not that. Yeah. But the idea of love alone, exactly. I mean, because the Apostle Paul, who penned 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, never commands a wife to um, love uh, her husband. This is where, as a biblicist, I realized you rightly divide the word of truth. There are secrets hidden in plain sight that are revolutionary, and if we lock onto them, uh, they will be very meaningful. And I think back to your experience with your wife when she said you need to earn it that's the typical female response and she's not Mm mean-spirited she's not she was in there was no ill will she has been conditioned at that time by the culture to believe that respect must be earned and deserved and so how do we help a woman understand what we're talking about here what we're talking about and because we would never say love must be earned we instinctively know that it's unconditional so when I help women in particular define what we're talking about here no, he doesn't deserve respect a lot of times. He hasn't earned it. You are you can be unlovable. You know, PMS, pre-murder syndrome, <laughs> once a month, right? <laughs> and so, you know, all of us get ugly or we're undeserving. But what we mean by respect and what I think Paul did, as well as Peter, who said in 1 Peter 3, you can win your disobedient husband through your respectful behavior, then clearly the man was not deserving. He hadn't earned it. But Peter is saying something under divine revelation that is a secret hidden in plain sight, and if we pay attention to it, 
it can really be the key to connecting with the husband, motivating the husband, winning over the husband, softening him. I mean, the, the, it is replete with significance. But here's the definition. It's uh, what the psychologists would call unconditional positive regard. Hmm. Unconditional positive regard toward the spirit of your husband. When you're communicating with him, you can say, what well, you're an honorable man. And you would die for me if I don't kill you first. <laughs> you know, you're an honorable man. But I, I, I'm so upset with you, and I don't, I'm not trying to dish you right now. But what you did was not in keeping with your your honor as a man. It's not respectable here. And help me understand this. How do I communicate this respectfully about what you did that's not really loving toward me, and I don't really feel was honorable? Mm. Now, if she is sincere and humble in saying that, she's now entered his mother tongue. And uh, most men will respond because they will see what she's trying to do here, which is how men with other men, you know, if I was your best buddy, I said, man, you know, you're the most honorable man I know, but where was your head at when you just did that? Mm. Man, you know, you're 10 times the man I am, but help me understand this. Explain it. Well, you, we're going to engage that because I have made a ton of deposits on what I call respect talk and honor talk. Same thing on the other side. If a man says to his wife, I don't know how to do this loving thing. You know, my old man, you know, my issues. How do I say this in a loving way? I'm so upset, but I'm just going to hurt you. Help me coach me here. I don't want to be unloving. Almost every woman's going to move toward him tenderly. Right. It is just a powerful thing. But we haven't coached women with the power of what we're talking about here because we've become very pink in our understanding of intimacy. Mm -hmm. And when I wrote Love and Respect, I said God made us male and female and that we're, we're equal, but we're not the same. And we've got to be able to decode then why it is that we deflate. And the crazy cycle explains that. But if we say, I'm not going to believe this idea of respecting a man because he hasn't earned it and he doesn't deserve it, then you're going to miss out on the secret that's hidden in plain sight to motivate your husband to love you. And that's what we call the energizing cycle. His love motivates her respect. Her respect motivates his love. And we define that. And you... There's a fine line between motivation and manipulation. So we don't do this to get what we want. Right. We do it to meet another person's need. But when we truly meet a woman's need for love, every woman would say, and if it was sincerely done, he's not saying I was loving today, can we have sex? But he's truly loving, she'll soften. And when a woman honors the man that God sees in that man, that she believes in that man in spite of his performance, she doesn't show him contempt and disgust and di disdain when he fails to be who he sees himself he ought to be and you expect him to be, but you communicate your belief in him, he will soften and move toward you almost predictably uh, every time. Maybe not within the first 15 minutes, 30 minutes, but he'll come back. He'll come back. So how do we, hearing you say this, I, I want to I grab hold of you grab your hand and take you back in time with me because I can remember like in that year seven of some of those conversations where instead of me just, I've been wounded, I've been disrespected, I've been hurt, defend myself, defend myself. If I only would have said, look, you are the, and she is my wife, you're the most loving person I know, but help me understand A, B, or C. But oftentimes, there's a lot of married couples out there that, that don't speak that way. They're not in the habit of trying to get their point across, even in tension. And I want to ask you about that word tension, because in your book, you said tension has a way of tearing down your self-image. That's on page 13 of the book, Love and Respect. 
So, but, but it's how can we train? How can men and women that are in marriage be trained to, to share their hurts or to share a need not being met in love or respect in a positive way and yet still be able to? How, how can we ingrain that in these couples to help them understand it's okay to share your thoughts and feelings, but you have to be able to say it in a way that draws your your spouse toward you? Well, excellent question. And I think, first of all, I give people the vocabulary of the crazy cycle. They need to have that vocabulary. Mm-hmm. But then comes the the you know the the big issue. If if I share that I'm feeling unloved at this moment as a wife, or I'm feeling disrespected as a husband, particularly on the side of the husband, if he says, you know, this, I, I know I've obviously come across unloving, but you know, help me here. You're coming across in a way that's really disrespectful to me. And usually men don't know how to articulate it, so they just blurt it out, and that just triggers her reaction. Like in the case of your wife, you don't deserve my respect. You haven't earned my respect. If you if you earn my respect, I'll give you respect. Well, the fear of hearing that mm-hmm. is so intense that we don't cross over into that vocabulary. It's almost, s- yeah, it's like a preemptive strike or a preemptive protection because you think that's what's going to be said or happen. That's exactly right because we're so vulnerable to that message. I mean, every Shawnee Feldhunt, a good friend and great researcher, she's discovered that women are living in security and fear of being three conversations away from their husband saying, I'm done with you. I don't love you. I'm leaving you. Mm. And that insecurity. So the fear that he's going to say, you know, well, you're not lovable. Nobody could love you. I never really have loved you. My mother told me not to marry you. I mean, these are so deep seated that we then, and here's what we do. We use unhealthy, unholy means to achieve these godly healthy ends. And what do I mean by that? I react unlovingly to Sarah to motivate her to show me respect. Mm-hmm. I'll teach that woman. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my dad. You need to obey. <laughs> yeah, you, well, yeah, I don't, your dad didn't use obey, but it's kind of like, I'll teach you to respect me. I meant you obey know? the Lord, not him. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. That's what I no, meant. You I, need to obey yeah. God when he says you're supposed to respect me. Well, you, that too. Yeah. So we, God commands Sarah to put on respect. He doesn't tell me to tell Sarah to do that, you know, so we have to know where our, our lane is. But I think this defensive reaction back to this point, we end up reacting in these disrespectful ways to our husband to motivate him to be more loving to, or to awaken to our need to be loved. We think he's going to decode because our sisters know when we react negatively and vent like that, they're going to say, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it that way. Women feel comfortable in the ocean of emotion. It's research has been pointing this out. So they, they will have a conflict. They'll vent with each other. Then one, they'll get it all out. And then one will say, well, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. And the other will say, well, no, I, I overreacted. Please forgive me. No, I, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? They both forgive. Then they kind of tear up a little bit. They hug. And one is silly and says something. They both start laughing again. And they bring it full circle. But men don't do it that way. When you come at them with what they perceive to be dishonor, contempt, and disrespect, they'll stop halfway around that circle. They'll just withdraw and stonewall and exit because they've got to calm down because that's actually the honorable thing to do to prevent things from escalating. But in a woman's world, that's an act of hostility. And so you have this huge misunderstanding between a husband and wife. And so now we keep defensively reacting. So we say without love, defensively, she reacts without respect. So without love, defensively, she reacts offensively without respect and without respect defensively he reacts offensively without love and we expect the other person to decode our deeper need but you can't motivate a person 
to meet your deepest need by depriving them of their deepest need. So mm. then it begs the question, who's going to move first on this? And this is where we have to get in tune with our fears. And one of the challenges I would extend to a person like yourself, you're an honorable man. And you're not as loving as your wife, but you're an honorable man. And honor is a, an, it's a God-given motivation in a feeling that we have as an honorable man. Can you, when you feel disrespected and dishonored in a conversation, as an honorable man, not take up offense because she's not probably intending to diss you anyway. She's crying out for your love by saying, I have a need that only you can meet and you have a strength that I need. And she's not saying it that way. Right. But that's what she means. And are you willing to stay engaged and then give voice to some of the things that you said earlier? And uh, but there are the vocabulary is important to have, first of all. Then I've got to secondly figure out, am I going to continue to defensively react and expect them to figure it out? Or can I let this thing that God has put in me, in this case as a man, to do the honorable thing by talking this through? Hey, look, I'm not trying to come across unloving. I do need to tell you that I'm vulnerable when you appear disrespectful, though I know that's not your intent. And so can we talk about this at some point? And the same thing with a wife. You're motivated to do the loving thing, and most women are very teachable. So when I talk about, hey, do you think as a loving woman, you could give your husband the gift of unconditional positive regard toward his spirit while you give vent to those things that are upsetting you, that you distinguish who he is from what he's done, and you let him know that you do see that distinction, that you do believe in him, that you do need him. But right now, you're spitting mad, and he'll get that. But if you don't distinguish that, he will think you're using that topic as another opportunity to send him the message that you despise who he is as a human being. Wow. Well, listen, everybody out there right now, if anything that you've heard, again, year seven, I needed this book like at the center. And so it was probably a couple of years after that, that we actually discovered Love and Respect by our guest, Dr. Emerson Egrich. And, um, boy, it's been an amazing, amazing marriage. I am in love with my best friend at 27 years. But, you know, again, this is something that I wish I'd have had in year seven, 20 years ago. But if you're listening right now and maybe there's that battle, whatever stage you're in, um, this is a book that can really help you. Again, it's called Love and Respect, The Love She Most Desires, The Respect He Desperately Needs. Um, it's groundbreaking. It's wonderful. It's been around almost 20 years. And so, um, yeah, the anniversary of this book will be next year, 20 years, that's Dr. Right. Rich. That's, that's, that's... Harper Collins. yeah, they're going to do a big push on that because it continues to serve couples. They believe in it, and they're, they're going to do a major, major push, and I'm so grateful to them for that. Well, I'm grateful that, that God put it on your heart to, to make this, this book actually happen. So a couple quotes. You, you've already been gracious with your time, but a couple things, and I want people— Get out there, get this book, wherever books are sold, Love and Respect. You can go to loveandrespect.com and see Dr. Egrich, his wife, Sarah, um, and, and their ministry. There's also other books, and, and he gave me a book, The Four Wills of God. I haven't read that one yet, but I'm going to go grab that today. And there's there's other books out there that he's written as well, but this one we're talking about, Love and Respect. Make sure you pick up your copy. Um, first of all, I'm going to give you four different things as we close this out, because part two, you have the couple and the chairs acrostic they can go read into. And, and there's just so many things. We would be here for hours, and, and I want people to actually read the book and go to your website, loveandrespect.com. So here's the first for, here's the first quote. This was on page 13. Tension has a way of tearing down your self-image. 
when I read that, that was the two by four to the side of the head. I'm like, doesn't it? Wow. Expound on that a little bit. Well, in part, um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 28, and that seventh chapter deals with marriage. It's the longest and most detailed passage on marriage. 1 Corinthians 13 is not about marriage. It's about spiritual gifts. Uh, but in that 1 Corinthians 7 passage, he makes this statement to husbands and wives. If you marry, you've not sinned, but you will have trouble. And the idea there is these special challenges that are inherent within marriage. And many couples believe that if they really love each other, they wouldn't have these tensions. They wouldn't have these special challenges. They wouldn't have these troubles. And uh, so what happens, I mean, in some ways, if we are setting on personal insecurities, then anytime there is social rejection, we may become you know, very reactionary to that. So that has to be unpacked on a personal basis. But sometimes people just look at this and say, man, I didn't sign up for this in marriage, mm -hmm. and everybody else seems to be so happy. Why are we having these tensions, these troubles, these special challenges? Well, in part, in what we talk here is about the gray areas of life, not, you know, there isn't this, we're not talking about betrayal. You have trouble because your, your sure. husband just walked out on you. Sure. Paul is referencing the day in and day out tensions. And he gives a clue to us earlier in that chapter where he says in verse four, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And I remember meditating on that. And I said, Lord, in the bedroom, what are you saying is both have final authority about whether they're going to be sexually intimate or not? Do both have final say? And this inaudible voice said, yes. <laughs> I, I said, Lord, have you designed trouble? Hmm. Yes. And some of us in the bedroom on Tuesday night, for instance, are we or are we not going to be sexually intimate? There's the conflict and it escalates and get into heated fellowship as we refer to it. And then people think we shouldn't be having these problems. We shouldn't be having these tensions. And they get troubled by maybe they made a mistake in marrying this person. It triggers all their insecurities. I didn't, mm, you know, yeah. as you're pointing out. So one of the things we have to do is back up and ask ourselves, is, is this a gift that God is giving to us? And I mustn't freak out at this point, but welcome this as part of his design. And there's a purpose in this and begin to think about what that purpose might be. Sarah and I, you know, we don't like conflict. She once chased me around the house with my love and respect book saying, what would you say <laughs> to a husband treating his wife the way you're treating me right now? Oh, you know, man. That's... We call that negative encouragement because nobody has a perfect relationship. And in fact, God has allowed for these tensions to surface so that two are better than one. Mm -hmm. Iron sharpens iron. Mm -hmm. There is what I call the pink perspective and there is the blue perspective. The color purple is the color royalty, God, the, the, the God. And so when you put pink and blue together, that forms purple. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes God allows this tension so that we would discover his deeper purpose in this. But many husbands and wives don't even get to that place because they spend all their time on the crazy side. Mm, wow. Wow, that's groundbreaking. So over the course, my wife and I have had many, and now it's actually a funny conversation when I just roll my eyes, when I look in the mirror at, at this. My wife sometimes will, I need to look in the mirror more than she does because she is, has always been better at this. And I'll give you two. Here's two quotes. Uh, page 30 is this first one. It says, what I say is not what you hear, and what you think you heard is not what I meant at all. I mean, so often in, in my marriage, it's I'll hear something 
and I'll take it in the way that I receive things. And so that has to be what she meant. I'm, you said it. You, there's no other way you could have meant it than that. And she's adamantly has said, well, no, I didn't mean it that way at all, but you chose to take it that way. So now, like I said, we, we have some fun with that. But early in our marriage, it wasn't fun at all because I was so adamant that, well, maybe you should have said it a different way if you meant it a different way because you must have meant it that way because you said it that way. And so, wow, it's interesting. And then the second one is just because you may feel unloved or disrespected does not mean that your spouse is actually sending that message. Two profound mm -hmm. quotes. Mm -hmm. No, that's excellent. I mean, you've you've captured it very, very well. I mean, this is again where if if we are uh, equal and therefore we're the same, then there is this assumption that everything should be clearly understood by each other. Right. You know, but one of the points I make is a, a wife says I have nothing to wear. What she means is she has nothing new. <laughs> right. Her husband, her husband says I have nothing to wear. What he means is he has nothing clean. <laughs> And what we learn from this innocent illustration is we say the same thing. I have nothing to wear. Same subject, same verb. I have nothing to wear. Same, same words, but we mean something totally different. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Sarah and I then try to give the benefit of the doubt to the other person that um, there are going to be these honest misunderstandings. And one of the points that I make is I don't believe, you know, I say when Sarah and I first met, we're going to get married. I didn't say to Sarah, you know, I hate you and you hate me, so let's get married. It doesn't, right. it doesn't go down that way. So how do people get to a point where they get derailed? Sometimes it's, it's, it's betrayal in, in affairs down the, down. but usually those affairs, even that kind of thing happens because early in the relationship, they get derailed due to one basic reason. And that is these honest misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the language or the skill or the knowledge to know how to clarify and decode. So they end up just putting their heels in. I know I'm right. I, I don't want to be right. I just know I am right. And I don't want you to be wrong. I just know you are wrong. And I don't want to be the normal one, but I, I am. And therefore you're abnormal. And I don't, I, I, I have some issues, but I really don't have the issues that you have mm -hmm. and you need to change. Yeah. And if you changed, we would be happier. And once we lock into that, then we really are not coming to that point where, you know, we say what we advocate so strongly. Neither one of us are wrong in the gray areas of life where we have these clashing preferences. Neither are wrong, just different. Neither are wrong, just different. Neither are wrong, just different. So Sarah and I introduced that into our vocabulary. Given there's no intrinsic evil, there is uh, evil, but you know, I'm not married to an evil one. You know, should we spend this money or save this money? Should we put the kids in, in Christian school or homeschool? There are a plethora of tensions that are gonna rise, referencing back to what you said. Mm -hmm. And how do we then navigate those honest differences of opinion? Well, what happens oftentimes is we take up offense, particularly if we feel strongly about our opinion, and then we have a tendency to say, you're wrong, and we judge them, and now we're off and running, and we're on the crazy cycle. Mm -hmm. So we've gotta back up here a little bit and give the benefit of the doubt, and, and here's how we try to do it. So if there's a misunderstanding, then we say, well, you know, I obviously didn't communicate that as as best I could have. Here's what I'm trying to say. Does this make sense? You know, and instead of me saying, well, you're just not listening. Take the wax out of your ears or, you know, <laughs> or you shouldn't be offended. You're just always taking up offense. And there's truth in that. There are. And we're seeing that more and more mm -hmm. the trigger generation where if I feel offended, therefore you're offensive. Well, the Pharisees sent a message to Jesus that they were offended by him. 
So now, because the Pharisees were offended, was Jesus in fact offensive and therefore he's sinful? So we, we have a growing generation of people who are taking up offense when there was no offense intended. But at the same time, there are offenses. I'm not going to minimize that. But the better part of wisdom is, look, I married this person because I believe they had basic goodwill. That doesn't mean that they have good follow through, but they have basic goodwill. So when we have these conflicts, am I going to attack them as ill-willed and evil-willed people who are mean-spirited and offensive and don't listen? Or just say, you know what, we probably have an honest misunderstanding, so let's take a little bit, maybe not more than 15 minutes, and try to sort this through mm -hmm. and uh, just w keep moving forward on this. And once we've given people these tools, and they can go, in fact, to our website, as you referenced, and see that they can get the 15-day plan. It's a 15-day it's a uh, plan that they can join that I take them through seven principles on the love and respect message that can serve them individually on how to apply some of this. Because if you get a little knowledge and a little skill, you can navigate this so much better rather than staying in this black hole. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Again, that's loveandrespect.com. And Dr. Egrich, one of the things in, in my particular marriage that helped us way back was when I, 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 when I used to say, well, you said that, so this is what you meant, and that really right. hurt me, where she's like, that is not what I meant. There's two, two things that play there that I realized. Number one, over time, I discovered that I was putting that on her because it was born out of my own insecurities. Right. And I couldn't see through my insecurities. But when right. I did, it helped me really understand that this is not her issue. This is a me issue. And then the other thing was, I love this woman, and she is the most loving, loyal, kind, godly woman that I've ever met. I need to begin to trust that. And I need to begin to trust her when she says, I didn't mean that because she'd never proven to be a person that when I might have been hurt by something she said, and so she, oh, she must mean that as, as an attack on me, she'd never proven to be the person that wanted to attack me because she never attacked me because nothing of that ever played out. And so I had to really grow in my trust in my wife, but then also grow up in the fact that I had insecurities that need to be dealt with, and that was not her fault at all. That's excellent. I mean, that's profound. Have you written that up? Uh, I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. No, if you'd write that up for me even today, because I, again, I, this is a very profound insight on your part. And many men struggle with that very point. They're taking up offense because they think she's trying to diss them. She means something here. And, and women are very vocal. They'll just say things, but they're not always thinking that this is coming across to us as disrespectful. You know, they're, they're correcting us when we're driving or they're doing this or they're doing that. And they're saying this or saying that. And uh, we have to back up as men and saying, is that really the intent of this woman? Is she really getting up early in the morning to storyboard ways to, you know, right. really offend me? Or is she a goodwilled woman who is coming at this as just a, a caring individual? And is it really triggering my insecurities? And am I man enough to really kind of try to unpack this a little bit and make some adjustments to mm -hmm. that? And that doesn't mean there's two levels. We conclude that her meaning was virtuous, right? We can right. say, okay, she's a virtuous woman. That doesn't mean that the way she said it was the best way to, to say it. So women are very responsive. Once they know, hey, you're the most loving person on the planet. I can't even compare to that. Can you help me here a little bit? Though sometimes when you're upset, I, I have a tendency to read into this reaction. Can we, can we hone the tone here a little bit? You know, one of the things I say in the book, you can be right, but wrong at the top of your voice. Right, and uh, yes. a lot of ladies, you know, are 
you know, they, they know their hearts in the right place because they care, but sometimes they can get a little bit carried away. They talk to their husband in a way they wouldn't talk to anybody else. So this is where the two people have to serve each other by saying, there's nobody that's more virtuous than you, but could you at least sometimes give me the gift of just kind of matter-of-factly saying this to me and not in front of the kids? Mm -hmm. You know, being a former athlete, especially in the realm of baseball, I can think back of some, you know, being in little league and winning a championship or winning a high school state championship or, or the personal accolades as a, a gold medal in the Olympics, playing in the major leagues. But it's interesting over the course of a season, I'll maybe remember five or six different at bats over the course of five to 600 over the, over a season. But vaguely will I, or rarely will I recall those good at bats, but you give me one bad at bat. I can't let go of that one at bat for 10 years. It, it's always spins through my head, spins through my head. And, and I feel like as it, not all men, but as this man, me, my wife could do a thousand loving, wonderful, selfless things. I mean, one day I came in on Father's Day and found a jar and on the outside of the jar. It said 365 reasons why we love daddy. And inside <laughs> that jar, there were literally 365 pieces of paper from my wife and both of my sons. Now, of course, some of them are repetitive because my sons were little at the time. Yeah, but exactly. But every one of them carried so much loving weight. And I know my wife thought of that. And, and she could do a thousand things, but if there's one thing, and it may not even be wrong, it might be something that I perceive as wrong. For some reason, the knucklehead competitor man in me like the negative at bat, like the strikeout with the bases loaded or the bad call the umpire made, I can't let go of that, or it used to be that I couldn't let go of that, and that's the thing that would just eat eat at me, eat at me, and I couldn't let it go, and I willfully jumped onto the crazy cycle when I couldn't do that. No, I mean, that's just a great testimony and, and on a negative note, of course, but it sure. represents where many of us are at, and how do we then you know, make an adjustment there? And I, I refer to it as taking a snapshot versus looking at the person's movie. Yeah. You know, if you, if you take and, and when do we take snapshots, we take the snapshot of that negative moment and we then, you know, have a, a, a kind of a, a pile of those snapshots and, and we incriminate our spouse based on that snapshot that tends to be negative because no one's perfect. And we just ignore the whole movie of their life. And so what we do is we end up uh, completely misrepresenting and at a certain point we can just de-energize them. They get totally demotive and defeated because we are really mis misinterpreting them. And we're misrepresenting them. And that's just devastating. So what did you do then when you made a decision? You know what? This is more my issue. It doesn't mean my wife's perfect, but I am taking snapshots and overlooking the movie of her life and all the wonderful things she does. What would you say to a man who's been doing that? Well, for me, um, I started, first of all, to rely on God's word because, you know, it never says to love my wife when she's acting up to my standards. It never says in God's word, love your wife when she is satisfying you physically, emotionally, mentally, when she has makeup on, when she does all the laundry, when she does A, B, or C. Which, by the way, in my house, I do laundry, I do all the ironing, I do dishes too, because guess what? I wear clothes, I eat, I, you know, I do things too, so we can all pitch in and do some things. I'm just saying there's not the man-woman thing in, in my house. But the idea for me was to simply look at the best in my wife, look at the, the grace she shows, the loyalty, the loving ways she shows, and stop dwelling 
on the negative side of things because I want to be joyful. And I don't, I'm not the, I'm not the thermometer in my home. I'm the thermostat. I set the tone. And so I chose to decide to look at all those good things. And, and then I investigated, why do I do that? And the reason was, is that because of my father wounds, when I was younger, I looked at God, which is very common in father wounds. I began to see the way my dad was, and I started to put in, well, that must be how the heavenly father is. You know, it wasn't the Abba father at the time, so God must be having the magnifying glass burning the ant. He has the glass. I have the, I'm the ant. And so it just helped me change perspective. I dove into God's word. I prayed through it, and I married this woman, and I love this woman, and so I'm going to think the best instead of the worst and realize even if she did hurt me intentionally, which has been extremely rare in 27 years— I still have a heavenly father that loves me unconditionally, that died for me. And I need to treat my wife as somebody that is going to fail and is going to make mistakes, even though she's going to do it a lot less of times than I am. So it was biblical. It was making the decision to, to stop letting my own insecurities and wounds be projected onto her and to trust the Lord and, and just think of the best in her. That's outstanding. That's what I want you to write up and... Uh... I will email that to you for sure, <laughs> yeah, and I'll put that as part of my testimony as well. So, uh, Dr. Eggert, you've been so gracious with your time. Um, I, I could ask 10,000 more questions. This is a fantastic book, and for those out there, uh, Dr. Emerson Egrich is our guest. He is the author. It's been out almost 20 years now. They're going to they're gonna have a, a big push on the 20-year anniversary of it, but don't wait till then. Go now to loveandrespect.com. The book is Love and Respect, The Love She Most Desires, The Respect He Desperately Needs. This is a ground, This can be a game changer for your marriage, whether you've been married a day, uh, a year, 50 years, 25 years, anywhere in between, or maybe you're thinking about getting married, or maybe you're like my sons who aren't thinking marriage right now, but eventually they know that that could be in the cards for them if, if the Lord blesses them with uh, somebody like that. And so... This could be for you. It is just a wonderful way for you to even, if you haven't been married, avoid some of the issues. Maybe you're married now and you're in the crazy cycle, or you spend time in and out of the crazy cycle. Maybe you struggle with communication. Maybe you've heard something today that, oh yeah, that's us, or you're pointing at your bride or you're pointing at your groom there and saying, yeah, that's you, that's you. Regardless of that, um, I I love, Dr. Egerich, the way you have just surrounded all of this with God's Word. And so that's that's first and foremost. If you want to learn about marriage, open up God's Word and find out. But this is an incredible tool for all of you out there if you want to learn more about how to love your bride, how to respect your husband, and God's plan for your marriage. You really can have a joyful, joyful marriage, a joyful time. You can both love and be an incredible friend to and with your spouse, and Dr. Egrich has captured all of that. So, uh, Dr. Egrich, thank you so much for your time today. I so appreciate you being here. Thank you, Les. Absolutely. So, again, loveandrespect.com is the place to go. All of his books are going to be listed on there as well, but Love and Respect is, uh, is the book we're talking about today. I highly, highly recommend you pick up your copy. So on behalf of Dr. Emerson Egrich, uh, I'm Les Norman. Thanks for joining us today on the Watching World Podcast. If you have anything related to, um, there's, there's marriage things here, there's, there's uh, uh, a new family ministry that's happened, maybe you're thinking about next steps, baptism, maybe you've heard something in the past about having a personal relationship with Jesus. 
Jesus. We can offer you information as well. People will be there to answer your call, uh, or it's maybe it's counseling or other ministries. Anything you need at Abundant Life, just go to livingproof.co. Thanks for joining us today. Catch us next time on the Watching World Podcast.